So uh, in the, uh, we're going through Proverbs, and uh, I felt impressed to look to the very beginning of Proverbs. And if you would turn your Bibles, if you have them with you tonight, or your computers or whatever gets you there, Proverbs chapter 1, verse 1. So at the very beginning of Proverbs, we see that Solomon speaks of the purpose of these writings, and they are instruct us on some things. And my topic tonight will be on justice. So we're going to be talking about that. Proverbs chapter 1, verse 1. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. For gaining wisdom and instruction, for understanding words of insight, for receiving instruction in prudent behavior, doing what is right and just and fair. So I find it striking that at the very beginning of this magnificent work that gives us instruction on all things of daily life, that he talks about the, uh, the Proverbs are laid out for several purposes, part of which is instructing on prudent behavior and doing what is right and just and fair. Justice and judgment and equity. These are words that seem to be unfolding of the meaning contained in the expression, the instruction of wisdom. And as we read about, uh, we'll go into some other scriptures in a minute, the, the concepts that the Lord has, there's two things that, that really stood out to me. One is that he talks about how our conduct ought to be conduct that is directed by him as we're walking with him in walking in a state of justice. And the other thing we'll come to in a minute is the notion of how everything that he does uh, has a divine sense of right and wrong or justice, whether we like it or not. And it's in a different realm than we would normally expect or anticipate in our natural minds, you know? And it's something that we have to purpose to embrace, to accept, and to seek after. Is it warm in here? Yeah, I thought, man, I'm on fire, but no, it's just warm in here. Okay, so uh, with that, uh, I apologize, I'm a little confused because I kind of just had some margin notes that seem, something seemingly got uh, blown up for some reason that I didn't intend them to be. But um, some of the commentaries talk about how justice stands for the thing itself, that which is just or judgment in respect of right reason which says that it is just and equity in respect of being agreeable with the law of God. In other words, it's a whole notion that uh, it's not just making a right decision on one thing or another. It's a very manner of being. God created everything to be in balance. He created everything to have a perspective where from, from his viewpoint, nothing's out of balance. You know, we talk about scales sometimes being off. And in everything of all of God's creation, you know, whether it's, the uh, dilemma you might be facing or whether it's just something as simple as, you know, we we're talking about things of nature and how last week I shared about some of those things and that we just go out and recognize the things that God has created are perfect in every way. And so we can't say that something's out of balance because God doesn't put things out of balance. He's always got things in the right order. And so that's what he wants us to try to, to press into see. So when we look into the book of uh, Proverbs, we're trying to discern what is his instruction for prudent behavior and walking in a state of righteousness or judgment. If you go over to Proverbs chapter 2, verses 7 through 9, it says that he stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk 
in integrity, guarding the paths of justice, and he preserves the way of his godly one. Then you will discern righteousness and justice and equity and every good course. So I think about how it says he, um, he, God himself, is a shield for those who walk in integrity, guarding the paths of justice. So, you know, we, we, we go through the stuff of life, and if we just go about it the way we want to do it and say this is my mindset and this is what I think is right and this is the way I'm going to go, you're walking your own path, you know? You really are. And so then you're going to get out in a situation where God isn't obligated or responsible to make sure that he's guarding that path, is he? You know, you just say, well, okay, I'm going to go down that path off to destruction. Well, okay, there you go. And it's not his responsibility. By mercy, sometimes he does, but it's not his obligation to save you from the circumstances that you find yourself walking into. But he preserves the way of the godly one. And then you will discern righteousness and justice and equity in every good course. And I really believe that the more we go on in God, the more we understand that, because we see consequences, both of our actions and the actions of others, don't we? You know, And that's not to be judgmental or critical or harsh or anything like that, but it's to say, God, reveal this to me. You know, We stop and we go, what's going on with these people or this situation? That they go down this path and uh, it sure doesn't seem right. And then you see consequences unfold. And it's like, God's not guarding that path. You know, they're taking away in a direction that ought not to be. And it, it, people do that in their own lives, you know. I, I think particularly about, um, you know, sometimes those that are in the, the music world. You know, they'll start off maybe being raised in the church and singing in gospel music and stuff like that. You were getting some amens back there. But it's true, isn't it? You know, and people start off and they go, well, God's given me this gift, you know. And so then what happens? Well, you're using it for the Lord and that's great. But then along comes that kind of voice of like, oh, well, you know, it's okay if you do this over here or this over here. And, and next thing you know, you see the folks that started off in the church that have nothing to do with it anymore. They're just out in the world. And, you know, initially they'll start to make the excuse of, well, you know, I can witness to the lost while, you know, I'm doing drugs with them or something like that. I, I don't know. I mean, that's being a little facetious. But people will go down a path, and it's not a path of justice, and he's not, they're not walking in integrity. They're just making conscious choices to, in reality, fooling themselves, saying this is pleasing to my flesh. I'm going to go that way, and, well, God bless it. And God doesn't bless it. Maybe they make some money and get some fame and the flesh gets exalted, but when you get down the line and then they come back, you know. Um, I think that I, I probably shared the, uh, the story to some that I've shared before, but I'll, uh, not everybody's probably heard it. I had a unique experience with B.J. Thomas years ago, and um, maybe some of you remember B.J. Thomas, raindrops keep falling on my head and all of that fascinating thing because back in the 70s of course he got very popular and and uh, then he was saved in the late 70s and he was on fire for the Lord and he was putting out gospel music and in the process of that uh, he got uh, I mean he was radically saved you know saved from he was going to overdose on heroin or whatever 
And so he was singing gospel music, and in the early 80s, I want to say maybe about 81, he came and did a concert in Fresno, and uh, he was at the Selland Arena, and I went to that, and we had a, a college-age Bible study group in our home at that time. And so we all went to listen to him. And he sang a bunch of his favorites because everybody was there to listen to the favorites. But then in the middle, he put the gospel songs out there, and at kind of halftime, he gave us basically a salvation message, you know, to try to bring people to the Lord. So that, that was all pretty good. And um, the concert goes on, and he sang some of the other songs. But we were encouraged to be there. And at the end of the concert, a friend that I was with at the time leaned over to me as the concert was winding up, and he said, Stuart, God told me to go talk to BJ. Okay. <laughs> We're one of, you know, 20,000 people here, whatever it is, or 15, whatever it was. No, no, God spoke to me. I've got to go talk to him after the concert. All right, well, how are you going to do that? I don't know, but I've got to do it. So anyway, I apologize to those I've told this story before, but I see a few new faces, so I get to tell it again. So we go up to the front after the concert's over, and there's all the guards, and my friend even knew one of the guard-type people, and he says, God told me i got to go talk to him, so let me through. <laughs> you know, and he's like, you're not going past here. You're not going back there. So anyway, he said, Stuart, distract the guards. So I did. So I got their attention over here, and my friend snuck under the ropes, and off he goes you know, with, with another friend. So I know that this is a witness because the witness verified all of this to me. So off he goes and disappeared backstage, you know, and... And he'd never been backstage at Selland Arena before. He had no idea where he's going. And he's telling me the story later. He just said, you know, I don't know. I'm going down this hallway and doors and this and that. And I'm like, God, where do I go? And so he's like turning here and here. And he goes, I open a door. I walk in a room. And there's B.J. Thomas sitting there all by himself. Nobody with him. Just like that. And he said he just basically introduced himself and just started to tell him, God sent me to talk to you. And said that you're basically, i kind of paraphrasing because this is quite a few years ago. But something to the effect of you're backslidden, you know to speak in tongues, you need to get into your prayer language and get close to God again. And he's just almost like rebuking him right there. Like, wow. And he said the man just started crying and weeping and acknowledged that this was like a voice of God being spoken directly to him. And, uh, you know, mission accomplished, message conveyed. And my friend came back, okay, I did what God said. <laughs> Sent the message. Yeah. Now, sadly... Over the course of time, anybody that's kind of followed, he just continued to decline, and he went right back into drugs and stuff. But I look at it, and I say, how obvious that God really does care about each and every one of us, that he would take that superstar guy and send a nobody in there to look him in the face and read his mail and tell him what's going on and what he needed to do. Yeah. And, uh, you know, would that we were all so hearing and bold to do those things, but also... It just demonstrates that uh, here was somebody who heard the word of God and yet after that just refused to walk in integrity, you know? I, you follow the career of, of uh, B.J. Thomas and in the years afterwards, I have no idea where he's at right now today, but we just saw it continue to decline, even to where I remember seeing him on an interview on some country television, something or other where they were asking him about, well, didn't you used to sing, like, you know, gospel music and stuff? Oh, no, 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 no. I, I just sang kind of uplifting things. I mean, he essentially denied the Lord in the interview. I mean, it was just like, wow. So, as to us, I know that God's direction and call to us is that we would walk in integrity, 
that he will guard our paths and preserve us, you know? And that we, it says, and then you discern righteousness and justice and equity and every good course. So we don't fall into that trap of deceiving ourselves and believing the lie and going down the path that leads only to one thing, which is destruction. And like in that case and so many others where people just become apostate and just totally walk away from God. Don't want to go there. Point number three. Justice is a principle and a concept of God, not us. It's not about what we think is right or fair. It's about what the Lord determines is fair and just and right. And as I was praying about this, I was coming back to the very foundation of man's estrangement from and then reconciliation to God the Father. Because we know that you know, God created man in his own image, that he might have fellowship with us, right? But man made the conscious choice to disobey and to separate himself from God. It wasn't God's choice that this happened. It was man's choice. So we made that choice. We separated ourselves from God. But God didn't want to be estranged from us. He created us for the fellowship. But to restore that fellowship, God had to adhere to a notion of justice that would be foreign to us, right? I mean, think about it. The world says, well, to get Close to God, you know, just whatever. Go to a happy church, you know, or something like that. Seriously, you know, you just kind of do your own thing. Make your own religion. The world doesn't want to get to the nitty-gritty of what God's really calling and what his system of justice demanded. Isaiah 53.10 says it pleased the Lord to bruise him. You can turn there if you want, but I think most everybody knows that. I mean, think about that. It pleased God to bruise Jesus. How much? He loved us, that in his balance of scales, we're separated, and he himself, God, the creator of the universe, who has all power and all ability for everything and sets the standards for everything, he's got to follow his own standards that he set in heaven. Can't do it any other way. Man's, you just can't do it, you know? And we would think, well, surely God could just say, well, I'll just kind of forget about all their disobedience. I'll just kind of bring them all back in and we'll just kind of pretend that all that sin and disobedience from Adam on down just didn't happen and oh, I just love you and I just accept you the way you are. He can't do that because he's a perfect and a holy and a righteous God. So he set it up in a way that the only way for reconciliation in his system is for the sacrifice of Jesus and therefore when the Lord, when Jesus fulfilled that and allowed himself to be in that position, that he was bruised, God the Father was pleased with that because he knew that the end of that would be the reconciliation of mankind for those who accept, of course. But non-believers can't accept this. They argue that a loving God accepts and loves unconditionally. Non-believers would say things like, well, don't judge others. You hear that all the time, don't you? Oh, yeah, we got an amen or two on that. Really? Oh, don't judge. Don't you judge. Well, I understand the concept of you don't enter your own personal judgment on something, right? That's completely different. But God does judge, doesn't he? And we should seek and embrace his judgment and walk in his divine justice. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 15 it says the person with the spirit makes judgments about all things 
but such a person is not subject to merely human judgments. I forgot which translation I got that from. But anyway, think about that. The person with the Spirit makes judgments about all things. Why? Because you're listening to the Holy Ghost. You're hearing what the Spirit of God is having to say. So what you're perceiving and recognizing that there's a judgment in a particular situation isn't you. It's not your own mind. It's God. It's God seeing it, revealing it, and you can stand for that proposition. You don't have to back off and just say, oh, I don't want to judge. I don't want to judge. So... It's only the way of the world that's going to suck you into that notion of, well, I guess I should just accept everybody the way they are and not pass judgment on people and situations and so forth. You have to stand up and know what's right. Proverbs chapter 21, verse 15 says that when justice is done, it is a joy to the righteous but terror to evildoers. I think it's kind of along the same lines of how the Lord himself, God, was pleased that his son was bruised. Because that is a joy. Justice is done. Righteousness embraces and loves that. But those that don't can't accept it. They reject it. They just walk away from it. It's like, I don't want anything to do with it. Why? Because they embrace the system of the world. They embrace the system that the devil himself puts out, which is totally contrary and opposite to the things of God, you know? The devil's just got a system going that mankind embraces and puts all over the news and all over the way you ought to buy your stuff and what you ought to wear and go and do and everything else. And it's not God's standard and it's not his way. But evil men, it says in Proverbs 28, 4, it says those who forsake the law praise the wicked, but those who keep the law strive with them. Evil men do not understand justice. But those who seek the Lord understand all things. Better is the poor who walks in his integrity than he who is crooked, though he be rich. Amen. Those who forsake the law praise the wicked, but those who keep the law strive with them. Evil men do not understand justice. You know, I've got a note about it further down, but I was thinking about um, the current affairs, you know. There's racial unrest on the other side of the country, right? And we won't get into the CNN, Fox commentary and all that tonight on the things that are going on. But we know that a lot of folks will just seemingly find support for those that would riot and loot and do all kinds of things like that, saying, well, you know, it's, it's justified, you know, and, and try to excuse or explain it away. But there's no excuse for things like that. There's absolutely no excuse. How can you possibly say that God himself would endorse people going in and stealing from others and rioting and looting and doing all those kinds of things? There's, there's no support for it at all. But the world will embrace it. Many will anyway. Thankfully, not everybody. But many are. You think about how the nation has uh, kind of a pendulum swung in a wrong direction that so many would... Uh, would find sympathy for and, and support for those who would go out and do ungodly, unlawful things that are causing harm and loss to others and yet call it okay. You know, it's the day's becoming, you know, when evil is good and good is evil. It's, everything gets flipped around, you know. But our task is to stay on task, isn't it? To say, I'm not going to go there. I'm not going to buy into it 
just because the people around me say I ought to go this direction or think this thought or something like that. Um, so I was making a comment that evil men uh, don't understand justice or, or what is right. And an evil man's moral uh, conception is perverted. He can't distinguish between right and wrong. The light that was in him becomes darkness. And sadly, the light that was in, I think, the foundation of this country has in many ways become darkness, hasn't it? It just kind of, yeah, we're having trouble with that. But many men, by giving themselves over wickedness, um, awe, uh, judicially, they're judicially blinded. Those that seek the Lord understand all things, and those who do God's will, seeking him in prayer, know what is morally right in every circumstance, and have a right judgment of all things. You know, in uh, John it says, you have an unction from the Holy One, and you know all things. John seven seventeen. If a man willeth to do his will, he shall know of the doctrine. So the whole purpose is always, God, I want to know it from your viewpoint. I want to see it from your standpoint. So we contrast the system of divine justice with the world system and the system of man-made religions. You think about that too. We can contrast with how just people live in society and so forth and they just kind of do their own thing. But in worldly religions, things that aren't founded on the gospel, they'll create stuff and call that right, but there's, there's no God in it. It's another system entirely that men will create to trumpet up so that they get some important position and people follow them and follow along and believe a lie, right? But this, the, the, the divineness of God's purposes and plans aren't built into the religions that are established contrary to God's will. Uh, people create their own rules and they put God's name on it and basically get people to follow them. So in our lives and in our society, I think that, you know, what I'm, I'm always looking for is to say, how is it you want, want me to understand a situation that I'm facing or interaction I have with other people, whether it's on the job, whether it's in a school situation you might be in, however it is. Don't evaluate and judge it the way you want it to be or the way that your brain thinks it ought to be or that you would analyze it. It kind of comes back to what I was sharing last week about lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct your paths or make your paths straight. Same concept entirely. So the bottom line is that in all things that we ought to be brave enough to seek God's viewpoint and go after it with everything that is within us. That it all comes down to living the life where it says, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Amen. That's what we ought to be doing. We ought to be saying, God, I don't want it to be my will. I want it to be your will. You know, not my will, but yours be done. Um, I was, uh, I, I want to take a moment tonight, too, to pray for our, our friends Bob and Joan Curry. I think maybe, Ann, you might have gotten a message and some others that know our friends that are up in Oregon, they both need prayer. She's in the hospital with some heart conditions now, and Bob's got some minor, hopefully minor surgery tomorrow. But I always enjoy spending time with Bob and, and talking uh, with him and, and considering the ways uh, that he's lived of a matter of not my will but yours be done. Seeking out a lifestyle that says, I just want to know, God, what is your will so that I might follow it? And in that, know that I'm walking a path of righteousness and integrity and God's going to guard it. Doesn't mean you're going to get rich. Doesn't mean you're going to get famous. Doesn't mean a thousand people are going to follow you. But God didn't call everybody to do that. 
you know, he didn't make 100,000 Billy Grahams to, you know, preach the gospel to millions and millions of people. But we all know that he put you, Robert, in a certain place to meet certain people in challenging situations that you are in, you know? And uh, he put me in situations that sometimes are challenging, and I got to deal with people that aren't always nice. But, you know, we look to say, well, God, I don't want to sit here and just follow a plan and a direction that I've concocted on my own, but I want to know what it's about. Um, you know, a couple years ago, we had a case where the other attorney that was opposite us was kind of nasty sometimes, but he was going through some really struggles, challenging struggles in his life with a unexpected divorce and a uh, child that was a problem and teen child and stuff. And so when he'd come in the office, we'd lay hands and pray for him, you know? <laughs> Wasn't a believer, but that's all right. You're doing what you know to do when you're in the right place at the right time. You just say, here I am, you know? Leroy, you've got all kinds of people that come across your path that would never expect to be in that school library system, you know? It's like, what are you doing here? Okay, well, and maybe you're not in a position where you're at liberty to say, now let me just sit you down and give you, you know, the Roman road or something like that. But the Holy Spirit will certainly reveal to you what it is that you're supposed to be talking with them about. And so you walk in a system. You walk with an understanding that as God lays everything out before us, and says, here's your life situation that you're 